from Tokyo, Japan, this is Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, corny foods and protein crystals. In addition, we'll be joined by Manalo Figalio, and he'll be talking about bridging the information gap. So stay tuned for all this, plus the Grokatron 5000, and your world-famous question of the week, coming right up, here, on the Grok's Science Show. I guess that makes me Charles Lee. How are you doing, Frank? To be honest, awake, even though it's <laughs> 2 in the morning here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I keep meaning to ask you, how is the future? You're, you're what, 14 hours ahead of us? It's usually dark and cold when we communicate, so I'm not sure what that means, but you have about 14 hours to make a difference, I guess. Uh, actually, one nice thing is lately I've been getting a nice view of Mount Fuji in the mornings. It gets a lot clearer during the uh, winter months? Yeah, during the winter months it gets pretty clear and it's a blue skies and you see the white cap mountain. During the summer it's always a haze around it so it's very hard to catch it, but in the mornings, in the winter, it's especially good. So what's happening in Chicago? Well, yeah, I just got back from a, a taping of the Jerry Springer show and I think my life is complete now. Uh, he's a pretty intelligent guy, right? Does he have anything intelligent to say? <laughs> well, I think he's done more for science than pretty much any other person on the face of the planet. Really? Or wait a minute, I mean he's done absolutely nothing for science. <laughs> <laughs> so what did he do uh, this week? Well, the show is very obviously staged. Really? I thought it was all uh, spontaneous. <laughs> Just like this show. <laughs> Jerry for president is all I can say. <laughs> He's from Chicago. Or maybe vice president right now, since uh, uh, at least he'd be humorous. Anyway, so what's going on in science this week? What's going on? Well, Charles, do you ever think your food is getting kind of corny? Uh, not as corny as my jokes. <laughs> you know, pretty soon uh, we may all be corny, because it turns out that what we eat comes almost all from corn. So, some... Geoscientists apparently they took fast food samples of hamburgers and french fries and chicken and based on the isotopic analysis it seems that all of it stems from a single source, uh, corn. The fact that all these animals eat some form of corn as their food source. Oh I see, basically all of our food sources uh, derived at some point from corn. Uh, more or less. So for example they had 162 samples of beef, only 12 of them showed that it came from a source other than corn, so grass or grains. So what does this mean now that so much corn is being used for ethanol production? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, there's those who argue that using it for uh, biofuels is impacting food prices. Others say it has minimal effect. The bigger concern is the health concern is that we're putting so much fertilizers to grow all this corn that then gets eaten by these animals then that we eat. And so it's an interesting way of looking at what our food chain looks like, but some environmentalists would argue that it's highly unnatural. Isn't science great? <laughs> Better living through science. <laughs> Better chemistry through science. Uh, anyways, this was published in our very favorite journal. Well, you know, I love that journal. <laughs> the Proceedings. Of the National. Academies. Of Sciences. PNAS. <laughs> Something corning in there. <laughs> Thank you. 
right. Well, you know, corn doesn't have a lot of protein, does it? Carbs. <laughs> Not very good for the Atkins diet. So a lot of researchers obviously are interested in uh, protein crystals because it helps them determine the structure of proteins. Yeah, isn't that the holy grail of protein folding science where they're trying to figure out what the protein is going to look like based on the sequence and as a result they can determine what's going to function, right? Right, that's the protein folding problem. Right. So researchers in trying to actually characterize various protein structures uh, need to create crystals of these proteins, a technique known as x-ray crystallography. Right. And I, I, I guess the biggest challenge is growing those crystals. Exactly. And since these crystals can be very, very small, or the seeds can be very, very small, detecting the initial seed crystal is very tough. So new researchers, though, have created a new technique where they use novel microscopy technique called second harmonic generation to actually help detect very small protein crystals as they form. They make use of a property of these crystals where multiple photons of a single energy can combine, okay. and this helps them to detect uh, whether or not protein crystals are actually in solution or uh, the crystal chamber or not. But one of the interesting features is that since most crystals are disordered, this particular technique is very useful for actually detecting protein crystals as opposed to regularly latticed crystals. Okay. So they think this method is a major advance and could definitely help them screen crystal forming uh, reactions to try and find the protein crystals that they want. I guess one of the uh, interesting problems they're working with this extra crystallography is they're trying to determine the exact structure of chlorophyll and all those compounds that are involved with photosynthesis. If they could figure how the structures are, then they could figure out the mechanism and eventually, you know, create solar cells given these mechanisms. So basically, artificial leaf solar cells. Right, right. And they're using extra crystallography right now to determine the structure of these crystals. Oh, very cool. Published in Journal of the American Chemical Society by Garth Simpson and co-workers at Purdue University. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. This is the Grox Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, Manalio Figalio will join us to discuss bridging the information gap. So stay tuned. Right now is Mr. Figalio, consultant based in Washington, D.C., and he'll be telling us a little bit about his efforts to bridge this information gap in developing worlds. He has worked extensively in Africa, South America, and other developing regions. Uh, Mr. Figalio, 
thank you so much for joining us in the program. And to begin with, um, your work sounds really fascinating. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, what I do is I use list or a series of best practices from the industry to build robust data systems in order to effectively make business decisions. I've done most of my work in the private sector, but over the past 10 years, I have used my skills and experience and knowledge to help developing countries build capacity through diffusion of innovation in those economies and those countries. Uh, I've worked in Rwanda, as you mentioned, helping the coffee board of Rwanda with their efforts to shift production of coffee from the great sea coffee that you find in the Maxwell House can to specialty coffee, which is a market that's much more stable than the commodities market for great sea coffee, and uh, which is also a, a, a market that is growing by leaps and bounds and yields better profit margins for producers in, in these developing economies like Rwanda. And my role was to basically help with the information technology initiatives related to these economic development initiatives. And in the case of Rwanda, it was building a content management system and providing training on that content management system as a, as a, um, as a uh, launched or, or uh, instigated this, uh, this marketing initiative. Information technology is changing very rapidly. And when you bring it to these regions, is there like a time lapse between what they get and what we have in the corporate workplace here? Uh, there is a bit of a time lapse depending on what you consider um, to be cutting edge. Uh, what's cutting edge in California, for instance, is very different than what's cutting edge in government circles here in Washington, D.C. Um, but uh, you'd be surprised at how cutting edge some technologies, and more importantly, how cutting edge the mi mindsets of some government officials in these uh, economically developing countries like Rwanda uh, really, really is. The president of Rwanda, uh, Pakigami, has a, this cutting edge mindset and is very enthusiastic about using information technology to leapfrog any industrial development in that country uh, and move uh, Rwanda essentially from an agricultural economy directly into the information uh, age, thus integrating it with, with the world economy and enabling Rwanda to, to compete globally uh, and also, uh, as a result, creating an economy that's much, much more stable than, than it, it's ever been in the past. So aside from, you know, humanitarian reasons and the cup of coffee we get in the morning, why is it in our best interest to help the development of these regions? Well, I think on a personal level, it's, I think it's in a, definitely in a computer professional's best interest because it does give them some exposure to uh, information technology in a very different context. And it gives them a better sense of just how impactful their skills and knowledge uh, in, in computer technology can be in these these um, in these in these growing um, developing economies. And that's why any computer professional should 
be be uh, interested, or I think um, should be uh, eager to to learn more. Uh, now, how does it, why is a, uh, an average Russian average uh, person be interested? I think uh, the reasons are varied. To most people, as in the case of Rwanda, for instance, uh, would be should be interested because it just helps them become better world citizens. It helps them to understand the plight of some of these these developing economies. Helps them contribute to these developing economies' stability, and and uh, I think as a result, play a more active role as a as a world citizen. It could be either from buying from these from these uh, e-business uh, services that economies or developing economies set up, or just reading about. Uh, what is going on in these developing economies through sources such as YouTube or, or Wikipedia or, or various uh, print journals. You know, going to regions like Rwanda, what was the biggest surprise you uh, encountered? I'd say by far the biggest surprise for me was just how developed Rwanda was and, and its IT infrastructure. This is right after leaving California and I was impressed with just how excited the Rwandans were about using information technology and how innovative a lot of their infrastructure was. And that, to me, signaled that, that uh, IT has a lot of, had a lot of promise. It still has a lot of promise in Rwanda. As I mentioned, the president has played a very active role. So not only is, is, is it an issue or, or is it about technology, but it's also about policy. The president of Rwanda has um, espoused six pillars of ICT, as they call it, or IT in Rwanda. Six pillars affected by ICT are these essential, these verticals that need to be looked at very closely and uh, invested in in order for information technology to succeed in, in Rwanda. Um, they, they begin with, with um, ICT and governance, producing or introducing implementing financial management systems for effective, streamlined governance in Rwanda. And then look at, look at other pillars such as human resource development, uh, development in the private sector, infrastructure development, uh, regional integration, uh, but more specifically making a country like Rwanda the hub of information technology and uh, IT IT uh, research in Africa, and also uh, the last pillar I think is just looking at ways of using IT for rural development, um, deployment, essentially of and spreading of, of uh, information technology in the community. And many of these projects are very surprising. Uh, I mentioned the coffee boards work with IT, but. Rural farmers in Rwanda also depend on technology to make effective decisions, and uh, it's it's becoming very pervasive. I think it surprises a lot of people just how pervasive information technology is in these in these countries, particularly since there is a low cost to entry, and the technology nowadays um, requires little little um, infrastructure investment. Uh, is in the case specifically of cell phones, uh, but also still uh, laptops, notebooks, and computers. It looks like you've done great work, and I'm 
you know, I'm just imagining you probably met a lot of interesting people along the way. Uh, could you share maybe a couple of stories? Sure can. Well, I, I was fortunate enough to do some IT development work in the Andes, not far from Lake Titicaca, and we met uh, some people from the National University of the High Plains. One was Antonio, who essentially was our host for about three, four days. I led a group of graduate students and professionals in, in helping to diffuse some IT knowledge in that area of the world. And one experience we had was basically uh, confronting a, a blockade of strikers, teachers on strike, uh, who would not let us go into the university lest we, lest we interrupt their strike. And uh, we were alerted that this was a strike when we started, um, started hearing or pounds on the, on the van we were in, and it turned out there were actually rocks or stones that were being thrown at us. <laughs> so it was, it, was kind of a, it was kind of an Indiana Jones experience, <laughs> and not, any, not the kind of experience that most people would, would associate with IT, but um, it goes to show that uh, the field is rapidly changing and uh, I believe getting more exciting uh, as the years progress. Cool. Cool. And, you know, what do you foresee in terms of uh, support you're going to get for these type of projects? Do you think organizations like the World Bank or UN uh, Development Program are keen to support these projects? I don't know much about what the UN is doing in using information technology for economic development or for sustainable economic development. But I'm sure there are a host of projects in our organization. Since I live in Washington, D.C., I'm more in tune with what's going on with the World Bank, and they do have several ICT initiatives. I think the future looks very bright for these types of initiatives um, because there will be a lot of funding from both private sector and public sector sources. Uh, my, my feeling is that as awareness grows, uh, people uh, in the private sector and public sector will, will continue to contribute funds and resources for these projects. Uh, there, there is a, uh, there is a, um, there are many, um, there are many um, 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 grants and so forth. Uh, um, there's an H, there's an HP, Melinda, Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation. There's an HP Foundation that's very, both are very keen on funding these kinds of projects. I'm sure uh, now with, uh, Bill Gates retiring, quote unquote, from Microsoft, he will play a bigger role in 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 uh, IT for economic development. In fact, he's a keynote speaker for a conference that Carnegie Mellon University is organizing in Qatar in a couple of years, specifically on this issue. And uh, I do know also that there are many uh, public institutions of higher learning here in the United States. I know, for instance, of a very prestigious technology institute that has signed a memorandum of understanding with the Rwandan ambassador to the United States that will essentially partner the two entities in a series of yet-to-be-disclosed initiatives, most revolving around um, IT, computer, and resource and knowledge exchange 
there is a, a major university in Kigali focusing on, on um, technology. It's the Kigali Institute of Science and Technology. I think that will continue to grow, particularly with investment from from the foundations and from the academic institutions that, I, that I've alluded to. Um, there is, of course, also a, a project coming out of MIT Media Lab that is looking at ways of using technology to uh, computer laptops specifically to bring information to rural areas. And I know there's also a, a um, well, there, there are many, many projects. And there's also uh, USAID-funded projects in Africa. One that I thought was really interesting is, is um, basically this project where, which is in its prototype stages, but where they're, they're uh, specially configuring computers to withstand the intense heat in West Africa and the high levels of dust. Uh, these computers that are specially configured will be rolled out to rural villages and will at first be bringing the Koran to these rural villages, but later on will provide um, much more information. The project is, is called a source, which is French for fountain. And in fact, these, these computers do become a fountain of information, of knowledge in these rural villages. Um, there are a lot of these very interesting projects that I think will be, uh, that have been and will continue to be funded by by private and uh, academic institutions in the United States. Great. Uh, Mr. Fidalio, thank you so much for joining us here today on Grok Science. Thank you very much. And we were just talking to Mr. Manalo Fidalio on bridging the information gap in developing worlds. So stay right there. And now here's the question of the week. Joining us right now is Mr. Sir Sean Connery. That's right, Frank. You can call me Lord of the Deep. Okay, sir. That's right. You'll know that there can be only one. <laughs> so, uh, where's your ship going on this time? To the craziest land beneath the ocean. The deepest part of the ocean. Oh, you go to the core. It's the Marianas Trench. It's the deepest point on the back of the ocean. And nor you can find any point deeper. <laughs> Alright, uh, Sir Connery, that is very insightful. Thank you very much, lad.
And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Groks, you can email us at groks at hotmail.com. For the Grok Science Show, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.